Welcome to AM Now, where we bring you the trending accounting matters we're following. I'm your host, Adam Olson, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Nicole Harger and Matt Fisser. Each bite-sized episode keeps you and your finance and accounting teams in the know. Join us each week as we unpack these issues, topics, and accounting matters now. You're listening to AM Now, an accounting matters podcast. I'm your host, Adam Olson. And I'm Nicole Harger. We're back after taking a break last week to celebrate at Embark's annual All Hands Company-Wide Conference, and we've got quite a bit to catch up on. (laughs) That's right, Adam. The standard setters were very busy while we were out. This week, we'll provide an overview of the FASB's newest proposed accounting standard over accounting for profits, interest awards. We will also summarize the topics discussed and outcomes from the Private Company Council's most recent meeting. We'll then pivot our discussion over to the two recent final rules issued by our friends at the SEC centered on share repurchase disclosures and amendments to form PF and reporting requirements for large private equity fund advisors. We'll end today's episode on the international front by discussing the newly released exposure draft from the International Sustainability Standards Board. Nicole, let's kick things off with the recent proposed accounting standard for profit interest awards. What can you tell us about the proposal from the FASB to improve the accounting for these awards? Yeah, so last week, the FASB released a draft of their proposed accounting standard for profits interest awards. I don't know about you, Adam, but this is one I personally um, have kept my eye out for since this project was added to the FASB's agenda back in December. Um, We do see many of our clients here at Embark issuing these types of awards and determining the correct accounting treatment takes judgment and therefore can sometimes be a challenging exercise. For those of you that are maybe a little unfamiliar, U.S. GAAP does not actually define the term profits interest. However, it does differentiate those interests from capital interests held by investors that provide those capital interest holders with rights to the existing net assets in a partnership. Profits interest holders only get to participate in future profits and or equity appreciation and have no rights to the existing net assets of the partnership. So as a result, stakeholders have indicated that it can be complex to determine whether a profits interest award should be accounted for as a share-based payment arrangement under ASC 718 or a cash bonus profit sharing arrangement under ASC 710. Yeah, and Currently, entities evaluate the terms, conditions, and characteristics of a profit interest award and have to apply judgment to determine whether to account for it under 718 or 710. However, stakeholders have indicated that there is diversity in practice even when evaluating similar fact patterns. And because of this perceived diversity in practice, stakeholders have asked the FASB to provide more clarifying guidance on the arrangements. Fast forward to the recent exposure draft, the FASB listening to this feedback included four illustrative examples of applying the scoping guidance in ASC 718. The amendments in this proposed update would be applied either retrospectively to all prior periods presented in the financial statements or prospectively to profit interest awards granted or modified on or after the effective date. If the proposed amendments are applied prospectively, an entity would be required to disclose the nature of and the reason for the change in accounting principle. The effective date and whether early adoption of the proposed amendments should be permitted will be determined after the board considers stakeholder feedback on the proposed amendments, which includes specific questions for respondents to provide commentary on. Those comments are due by July 10th of this year. You know, Adam, it's also worth pointing out that 
the FASB has issued proposed taxonomy improvement related to this proposed profits interest accounting standards update. And so while we're on the topic of the FASB, let's pivot to the Private Company Council, which met earlier this month. There were quite a few items on their agenda. They were uh, busy. <laughs> yeah, very, very busy. Yeah, so let's dive right into that. So one key topic that was discussed by the PCC focused on the accounting and disclosure of software costs. During that discussion, members of the PCC highlighted the FASB's recent tentative decisions to pursue a single model approach in which all direct software development costs are capitalized from the point at which it is probable that the software project will be completed and the software will be used to perform the function intended until the software project is substantially complete and ready for its intended use. PCC members discussed various elements of the single model approach. They focused on the probable threshold, the unit of account, maintenance and enhancements, and presentation and disclosure. Most PCC members supported the probable threshold supplemented with indicators to improve consistency in application. PCC members highlighted the challenge of determining the unit of account, especially in an agile software and technology environment. Most PCC members also emphasize the challenges in distinguishing between maintenance and enhancements, with some members suggesting providing guiding principles for distinguishing between maintenance and enhancements, rather than specifically defining each type of cost. PCC members who are users highlighted the importance of disclosures about software costs in assessing future cash flows and understanding capital allocation decisions made by management. Alternatively, other PCC members expressed concern over the level of detail and additional costs for the potential required disclosures. Next topic up for discussion was crypto assets. Specifically, the PCC discussed the FASB's proposed accounting standard over accounting for and disclosure of crypto assets. Overall, PCC members were mostly in support of the proposed update. However, PCC members weren't all on the same page as it relates to the effective date and transition. Most PCC members seem to agree with one another that the effective date should be the same for both public and private companies. However, some members expressed concern over having the same effective date for both public and private companies and, and therefore suggested allowing additional time for private company adoption, but allowing for early adoption at the same time. As it relates to disclosure, one PCC member highlighted the importance of considering what interim disclosures would be required for private companies, and another PCC member indicated that there should not be a disclosure of the cost basis in addition to units held and fair value of crypto assets holdings. Moving along to the next topic discussed, stock compensation disclosures. FASB staff and members of the PCC Stock Compensation Disclosures Working Group provided the PCC with an update on the working group's progress and an overview of stakeholder feedback received from private company financial statement users. Working group members noted that the feedback received has been helpful and that they are planning additional user outreach with lenders. Additionally, working group members noted that disclosures users find relevant vary based on the respective backgrounds and type of analysis. The working group is also planning additional outreach with private company preparers and practitioners. The PCC then discussed the post-implementation review activities related to ASC 842 leases, including this year's first ASU, specifically 2023-1, over common control lease arrangements. 
PCC members believe the amendments are responsive to stakeholder concerns and should assist with the implementation of ASC 842. Some PCC members did state some concern that stakeholders may not be aware of the amendments and suggested that the FASB increase educational efforts on the amendments in update 2023-01. Yeah, and if you find that you're one of them needing a little more information, check out our March 28th AM Now episode where we provide a high-level overview of the new ASU. Shameless plug. Yes. <laughs> PCC members stated that the determination of the lease commencement date can be challenging in certain circumstances, such as when the lessor engages the lessee to complete construction of the underlying asset. They did note that the standard setting may not be necessary to address those challenges, but suggest that the FASB consider providing additional education for stakeholders. This next topic is one everyone here at Embark might be a little um, tired of hearing me talk about. CECL. Specifically, PCC members discussed CECL implementation feedback obtained during a meeting that one PCC member recently coordinated with several peers representing non-public financial institutions. Participants at this meeting discussed certain implementation challenges, such as the sufficiency of historical loss data and determining the allowance for off-balance sheet credit exposure. However, most participants describe their overall implementation experience as generally positive. The PCC chair noted that her clients experienced similar implementation challenges. And still moving along with the PCC's meeting, the next topic up for discussion was the board's project on the disaggregation of income statement expenses. FASB staff summarized the board's recent decisions, including the decision that the disclosure requirements would only apply to public business entities. Overall, PCC members supported the exclusion of private companies from the disclosure requirements. And Nicole, do you want to help us land the plane on the PCC meeting? And rounding out the PCC meeting was the discussion on joint venture formations. FASB staff summarized the key amendments that will be included in the final ASU, which is expected to be issued in the second half of this year. One PCC member and the PCC chair expressed their support for the board's decision made during re-deliberations to allow a joint venture to apply the business combinations measurement period guidance. Phew. All right. Well, let's <laughs> we give the FASB it. a rest and move along to developments on the SEC front where two recent final rules were issued by the commission. In the first rule, the SEC adopted amendments to form PF, the confidential reporting form for certain SEC registered investment advisors to private funds. The final amendments now require current reporting by large hedge fund advisors regarding certain events that may indicate significant stress at a fund that could harm investors or signal risk in the broader financial system, require quarterly event reporting for all private equity fund advisors regarding certain events that could raise investor protection issues, and require enhanced reporting by large private equity fund advisors to improve the ability of the Financial Stability Oversight Council to monitor systemic risk and improve the ability of both the Oversight Council and the Commission to identify and assess changes in market trends at reporting funds. Commissioner Caroline Crenshaw stated, as our private fund industry grows in prominence, investor confidence in the integrity and stability of this industry must grow in tandem. But integrity and stability require some oversight 
and built-in protections. Today's final rule is a step in the right direction of bringing additional, much-needed transparency into this outsized but largely opaque part of the market. The final amendments will become effective six months after publication of the adopting release in the Federal Register for current and quarterly event reporting and one year after publication in the Federal Register for the remainder of the amendments. The SEC also finalized a rule requiring disclosures related to issuers' share repurchases designed to provide investors with enhanced information to assess the purpose and effects of the repurchases. The amendments in this final rule will require domestic corporate issuers, foreign private issuers, and listed closed-end funds to now disclose daily repurchase activity quarterly or semi-annually, Check a box indicating if certain directors or officers traded in relevant securities within four business days before or after the public announcement of an issuer's repurchase plan or program. Provide narrative disclosures about the issuer's repurchase programs and practices in its periodic reports. And provide quarterly disclosure in an issuer's periodic reports on Forms 10-K and 10-Q related to an issuer's adoption and termination of 10-B 5-1 trading arrangements. While these amendments may seem significant, the final amendments are actually pared down from the original December 2021 proposing release. SEC Chair Gary Gensler weighed in on this final rule as well and stated, through these disclosures, investors will be able to better assess issuer buyback programs. The disclosures will also help lessen some of the information asymmetries inherent between issuers and investors in buybacks. Based on public comment, the final rule adjusts the proposed cadence of the daily buyback disclosure to be provided periodically rather than one business day after execution. I think this final rule will improve investors' visibility into buyback programs and their transaction history. That's good for investors, issuers, and the market. The final rule becomes effective 60 days after publication in the Federal Register. Reporting entities will then have additional time to comply with the extended disclosure and filing requirements. Compliance dates vary depending on the entity type for the registrant. And before we wrap for the week, you know, we can't leave some updates on the sustainability reporting landscape. So last week, the International Sustainability Standards Boards, or ISSB, published an exposure draft on its proposed methodology for amending the non-climate-related SASB standards metrics to enhance their international applicability, and they are seeking feedback from stakeholders on that proposal. The feedback on the proposed methodology will allow the ISSB to make targeted amendments to the SASB standards to ensure references within them are internationally applicable. For example, a subset of the metrics included in the SASB standards incorporate references to specific jurisdictional laws and regulations. Revising these references will help improve international applicability and remove any regional bias currently in the standards. As a reminder, the SASB standards serve as an important source of guidance in the ISSB's General Requirements Standard, IFRS S1, by helping companies identify sustainability-related risks and opportunities and provide appropriate disclosures beyond climate-related disclosures, which would be addressed by IFRS S2. The importance of enhancing the existing SASB standards was echoed by Jeffrey Hales, chair of the ISSB's SASB Standards Board Advisor Group. 
He noted the increase in companies around the world voluntarily applying the SASB standards in response to investor demand sends a strong signal about the information investors need. The ISSB is committed to maintaining and enhancing the SASB standards so that they continue to be effective in supporting companies to deliver industry-based sustainability disclosures to investors. Through this project, we hope to make it easier for companies to apply the SASB standards regardless of where they operate and to help companies applying IFRS S1 produce comparable and decision-useful disclosures. The ISSB's objective is to revise the metrics within the SASB standards based on the outcomes of the consultation prior to IFRS S1 coming into effect in January 2024, Feedback on the request for consultation is due by August 9th. And there you have it. That wraps us up finally for the, our discussion this week. As always, for a deeper dive into what's trending in accounting and finance, check out our other podcast on the Accounting Matters feed on your preferred listening platform. Again, I'm Adam Olson. And I'm Nicole Harger. Thanks for listening to AM Now. We'll see you next week. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. Embark makes no representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in the podcast series, and it should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors. Information discussed in our podcast may also be superseded by new guidance or as new interpretations emerge. Listeners are cautioned to carefully evaluate any relevant subsequent authoritative guidance issued.